<laughs> Welcome supers to this Shark Tank Tank Tales. I am at Dinodon's house here that was built in 19 or 19, sorry, 1784, 84. I'm here to interview him and see exactly what his experience was like before, during, and after uh, appearing on Shark Tank. Of course, Shark Tank is, is just one of the minor things that you've done compared to all of the amazing dinosaur things, Jurassic Park, and probably other things that weren't mentioned or were cut from the Shark Tank, <laughs> uh, the Shark Tank airing. Well, plenty was cut, that's for sure. Well, because how, how long would you say your, your interview was, or your um, time yeah. on the floor was? It was about 40 minutes. Okay. And, of course, they only use a quarter of that, approximately. The interesting thing was the first half of it had nothing to do with the program. The guys, you know, you come in cold, they don't know anything about it. All their questions were, it was cute, they were like little kids. Like, when did they go extinct? How big was T-Rex? You know, I thought, when are we getting to the show? What am I doing here? Um, so then, then they got serious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's- <laughs> that's you know I don't know I I don't know that I've heard that experience of people them actually asking like those kind of in depth questions about a field prior to, uh, right. to do that I mean obviously you have to go out on the floor stand there for a while right and everybody makes their faces and you know so they can cut it all together and and do all that but but let, before we get to all of that on Shark Tank let's let's go back a little bit. Um, wh- what point did you start getting into the whole dinosaur thing? Because I, I know they asked you in the show, like, did you uh, want to do this as a kid? And you, you didn't, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but yet you somehow found your way into it. Yeah. No, I had the usual boy's interest. I don't know if you did, but most guys. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I had the, um, what was the... What was that magazine that came with the, the, you can make like the skeleton models of the dinosaurs? I had that growing up. In my day, long ago, Life Magazine had done this big story about dinosaurs, I remember, and I was about three. And that was like, oh, these are cool. But I passed out of it like most kids. I certainly didn't think about I was going to be doing this for my life. And in my 30s, at which point I was a reporter for the Boston Globe, and I was working mainly on science subjects, nature, uh, medicine, things like that. The editor said, why don't you go interview these two crazy dinosaur guys? So I said, okay, you know, it's my job. And going out there into the wild with these crazy people and seeing how they could read the landscape of the past. And, you know, a lot of scientists, it's not like you can sort of as an amateur take up brain surgery. I hope you can't because be a lot of bad repercussions. So I've heard about that, actually. So, so I'm like, oh, I wanted my doctor to go to the university and spend, you know, 12, 15 years before they crack my brain open. And somebody was challenged me on that, said that there's, not, not in America, obviously, but in other countries that do other surgeries, they, they have apprenticeships, kind of like if you were a plumber, but it's for... Opening surgery. people up in surgeries and stuff like that because they don't have access to grand universities and things of that nature. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm not going there for yeah. my surgery. So <laughs> with dinosaurs, that. everybody could sort of understand what the process is at least. Uh, so it's very accessible that way. And there are all these great places to visit. There was I discovered all this stuff about the science and the new discoveries that people didn't know. So I started out just quitting my job, going to all these digs, writing a book about dinosaurs that nobody read, and then I realized, okay, it's kids. So I wrote like 50 books for kids. And then being a kind of ADD person, newspapers was great because one week you were diabetes and the next week you were sharks. But this, I was thinking, okay, 
there's a million different things of presentation to do with dinosaurs. Same topic, but I'll go work for TV. So I worked on Nova, hosting and writing those. And I can work in movies. So hosting Jurassic, I mean, advising on Jurassic Park and Disney, and then their theme parks, I'll work on those. And then I kind of fell into doing exhibits, which is, I think, the best version of trying to create things with a subject. Because, you know, you write a book, you, unless somebody's really ticked off and says, I don't like this book, you never hear from anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, a certain number of people bought it, but that's it. With an exhibit, you can go and you can see people uh, being happy, or if they're miserable, you can change the thing that made them miserable. So it's kind of like a, you know, a building that you can constantly change around. So that's a pretty cool way to do it. So that's pretty much what I've been doing as a mainstay since. I used to work with fossils, digging them up, uh, putting them back together again with a lot of help from other people because there are a whole lot of dinosaurs out there and a lot of, particularly abroad, it's kind of like you're saying with the surgeons, there are a lot of people there without formal training, without money, they find a dinosaur and they don't have the, the manpower, the resources to put them together. Like like they found it in their backyard or like they, I mean, because I feel like you have to actively go and make it happen. It doesn't like... Oh, hey, look at the, the dinosaur in the backyard. It just, just magically appeared overnight because the storm washed away a little bit of dirt. <laughs> yeah, it actually is like R- that. Really? Is that? Not, oh, it's, wow. It depends where your backyard is. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it helps to be in the desert, you know, because there's lots of erosion and things actually do get washed yeah, away. Yeah. And you see this stuff. But I'd say eight out of ten dinosaurs are found by some kid or other person just walking around. And, oh, what's that thing? Because there is no way to plan uh, as long as you're in the area where the rocks are that old and it used to be land and it still is land, chances are there's a dinosaur in there. Oh, wow. So, yeah, in these other countries, people would find, a, you know, a farmer found what he thought was a big piece of driftwood. And he brought it to the local museum and the guy said, no, this is the leg bone of the biggest dinosaur that ever lived. So, yeah, I'll go out and dig <laughs> it up. And actually that guy I met and he said, oh, I need $6,000. I can't dig this up. Well, it's not a lot of money, so I could find the money, which I asked for that one. I got it from Spielberg's son's classmate in kindergarten's father, <laughs> if you can follow that part, <laughs> who owned a CD-ROM company, and that was a big thing in those days. Yeah, and yeah. he wanted the promotion, and he said, okay, I'll give you the money, go dig up the dinosaur. And that one turned out to be bigger than T-Rex, and you know, over two years of time to put all this together, we ended up with this giant statue, and there's one in Philadelphia, there's one all over the place. Because you make casts of it, and that's what you do. And then only three years ago did I fall into this idea of doing robots. People have been doing robots forever. They all suck. I think they all suck, because they're like half size. They kind of have St. Vitus dance or something. You know, they look like they got Parkinson's. And they're not accurate at all. But I went to the factory where a lot of these are made in China, and it turns out that it's just bad instruction that they're carving these things by hand, each one. It's like they took the couch cushions Mm -hmm. and an X-Acto knife and make the shape of the dinosaur. But they do it really well. It's just nobody showed them the right thing to do. So I realized if I send a scientist or an artist with illustrations, they can actually make full size instead of half size. They can make them look completely like we know they should have looked, which we know a lot about now. So we ended up with really good-looking dinosaurs and... You know, there are not a lot of people doing this. Yeah, yeah. So pretty soon, we started out with zoos, the Bronx Zoo in New York. And it had like 45 big dinosaurs there. And then I brought all the other zoos to see it. And now we're the biggest manufacturer in two years' time of robots in the world. And we have 300 of them 
wow. in about a dozen different zoos and museums around the mm. world. And then we started making other animals too. So we're doing lots of different things, bugs and dragons and ice age creatures. So it's a whole enterprise. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible uh, to see that you, you know, went from like the Boston Globe, which is which is no small feat in and of itself, even in the what was that in the late 80s, mm-hmm. the 80s? Yeah. yeah. So um, sorry, trying to put all the, the math together. Yeah. But, you know, going from that to to making the jump, how did you get involved with, uh, with Spielberg? Like, how did that uh, transition happen? Well, this is so long ago, you won't believe. But um, I heard through like press publications that this guy, Michael Crichton, who everybody knew writing uh, blockbuster fiction was going to write a book about dinosaurs and it was coming out soon so I asked the Globe can I go interview this guy and he said sure so he turned out to be a really interesting nice guy um, complicated but interesting he's unfortunately gone but yeah. he uh, you know I was asking him about I had started a charity for dinosaur research because going out in the field with these guys they had like zero money and indirectly all this toy industry everything else with dinosaurs movies originates with somebody figuring out what a dinosaur is. So I created this charity, it was not going far, and I said, I could use advice. He said, sure. He gave me some money, and then he introduced me to Spielberg, because he had sold the movie rights to Spielberg. <laughs> and when I say Spielberg, it was really to the third assistant director to Spielberg, <laughs> who called me up and said, I hear you know something about dinosaurs, we need some help. Uh, they wanted to find Amber for you know using in the movie, or they wanted to you know, the actor who played the scientist in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, Sam Neill, he called up in the middle of the night. He said, I want some David Attenborough tapes. I said, why? You're playing a Montana scientist. He said, I didn't ask your opinion. So that was, that was my introduction <laughs> to actors. <laughs> then I went out on the set and helped and did very little because he'd already planned the movie two years in advance and it's fiction and they care less about what dinosaurs did than what a movie should have in it, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, dinosaurs sitting around farting and sleeping does not make a great movie. But at the end, I thought, and my friend who was uh, also working on the movie technically had the, really had the origin of the idea, take all the sets and props and make an exhibit about what's wrong with this movie. So, <laughs> so at that point, I did know Spielberg, and he, he was very generous to it. I said, I want to make an exhibit about everything that's wrong. We'll give all the money to research. And we raised about $3 million. And he's the one who pressured Universal that I said, I'll give you a huge royalty, Mr. Universal, or all these people there, but you're going to give it all away to charity and get a, uh, a tax break. So that's how the, all the money really originated. It was the most ever raised for wow. research. So a lot of good for the science came out of that movie. For me, personally, I didn't want to take money, but I love the exhibit business. So I thought, okay, this is what I'll do. Well, I would say probably more, even more so than the money, the interest of, you know, kids being like, whoa, like, I, I mean, Jurassic Park was huge for me. I mean, I think I was, uh, what was, I was like seven or eight when it came out, but I had, I had the toys and the, you know, and it was a scary movie. It was still a scary movie. I tried showing it to my five-year-old the other, uh, a couple weeks back and we got to the Velociraptor in the kitchen scene and that was, that was enough. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back at some point, but. <laughs> well, you can tell him, it'll help him be less scared. Yeah, that, that scene was neither robots nor computer graphics. It was puppets, wasn't it? It was guys in Ninja Turtle suits. 
the same guys who play Ninja Turtles oh, wow. got out of those suits and into the Velociraptor suits because you can't get a robot to jump on a table. You couldn't do CGI in three dimensions like that. But the suits look better in a lot of in a lot of cases. Yeah, you know, it, I mean, it, it depends cool. on which you know how it's shot and and you know filmed and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of technical side to that that I could talk about for for days, but. Um, but I, I think so. At what point did you decide? Okay, let let's do, let's do the Shark Tank thing, or who pushed, or who? They how called, did that happen? Yeah, I, I have to admit, I I don't watch the show, and uh-huh. they called me. There was an article in Inc. Magazine, a magazine for business entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and it was a profile of the business. And I guess that their producers read that magazine looking for interesting people that they can contact. Because I don't know the numbers, but. You know, they get tens of thousands of people asking to be on the show. Yes. So the guy called me, the producer, and said, would you like to be on the program? I said, yeah, sure, great. He said, what, what money do you need? I said, I have no idea. He said, think of something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's not a bad offer. No, sure not. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> so I thought, one, these, you know, this is a time of, that was the peak of COVID uh, last fall. All these zoos have really trouble raising money, getting attendance. If we could offer them, and that was one key to what we were asking for, we could offer them the exhibit without them having to pay just to share the tickets. That would help them get back to life and be good for us. So that was one. And then I wanted to start my own tour because they're these really cruddy dinosaur tours. Um, they go around to stadium parking lots. and you That's just, the one I, in, my, in my video I mentioned because I wasn't sure. I didn't know at the time. I just I was like, oh, Philly? He's in Philly. <laughs> yeah, you know, he says it's, a, it's in the area. I didn't know. But. Yeah. So, so, you know, on behalf of dino- dinosaurs, I took offense because <laughs> they look so cruddy. Hey, well, that's what my friends, I said, is it, is it worth going through? He's like, mm. he's like, maybe if it was at night, it's okay, but <laughs> right. I wouldn't go during the day. And it didn't look good on camera. Like when you saw like the news crews, you know, like Fox 29 yeah. here in Philly, like go to it. I'm like, eh, eh, it's okay. It looks all right, but... You know, I, I don't. For, it looks all right if I didn't have to pay, maybe, or, or, or if it was like ten bucks or if, something per car. If they pay you ten bucks, yes. Yeah. But if you're a kid, you know, you so love dinosaurs. That's true. That you're willing to overlook all this, but it's exploited, I think. And so they're they're half size guys, one by one. They're not even sewn together, sitting on asphalt. And so I thought, if I made my own tour and put it in parks with full size dinosaurs, there are a lot of logistical problems. But uh, sure, I'll take somebody's half a million dollars to go towards this if they'll do it uh i didn't know how to evaluate what this is all worth which they want you to do yeah uh, they don't they don't offer any kind of help on that like nope I, well because i guess if you're wrong that makes for good tv exactly if, if you're right it makes for good, it makes for good <laughs> like hey we win we win no matter what i think <laughs> they like wrong better um, yeah well yeah <laughs> in this case i thought i was actually projecting what this stuff would be worth and we're yet to find out it, what it is. Uh, the valuation, you know, was based on what he pays for his part of the company. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much on target to what we're generating in revenue right now. So he got 25% of the company for $500,000. Right now we're making about $3 million a year. So in that sense, it's on target. But yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to do it for 10%. <laughs> well, and, and he is, he's talking about Mark Cuban, uh, yes, of course, sorry. which is awesome that uh, I guess the deal went, did go through or is in the process of... Oh, it went through, yeah. Okay, great. That's awesome. Ding, ding. I love, I love <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I, I think I talked about this. If you, know, if you haven't watched the video uh, where I, you know, broke down the video, you know, the shark, his Dino Don Shark Tank 
uh, appearance on Shark Tank. Uh, you know, I, I, I told people, like, don't get too hung up on the, um, the valuation, especially if you don't have other people vested in the business. Right. Right? Because, like, if you own 100% of it, it's like, okay, is there that much of a difference? Is 10% going to make or break? If you don't, it just depends on your um, plan. It's like, oh, we plan on selling more percentage because we're going to need a lot more money. But, you know, you get a Mark Cuban on board. It's like, well, he could keep funding it for ever, basically, depending on how much money it is right. and all. So it just depends on a lot, a lot of those factors. And sometimes it's like, eh, five, maybe 5% or 10% shouldn't get in the way if you don't have other people that are like, well, hey, I just paid X amount for this amount, and now you're going to show off for it to that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't be a barrier in some cases. Yeah, I mean, none of these businesses are mature, or you wouldn't be on the show. I mean, so very few, very, right. very few are. Very few. So, I mean, they say it on the show, but it's true. You know, they're investing in who you are mm-hmm. and what they think your potential is to grow this business. Um, and the product itself, whether they see a potential in that. So it's not really about where you are now. Um, it just happened that it coincided well. Of course, we had some sense that he was going to be the one. I, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I, in preparation, I, watched, I rewatched the video because it's been a couple of weeks or months now. Yeah. Since, uh, I guess like a month, almost a month. So, yeah, I, I totally forgot that you guys thought that it would be Mark Cuban. Did you... You didn't have a hunch, I assume. It was just a, a flyer that you'd be walking out whether or not... Because they're going to see your shirt when you turned around. Yeah, no, we had a pretty strong hunch. Or, or we wouldn't have spent $10 each on the shirts. Uh, <laughs> so, because... For one, you know, people don't think about it. But he is literally 100 times richer than anybody else on that show. Um, and he's the only one with a background in entertainment and sports and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of marketing that goes into it. Uh, venues, all that he... He has a really good sense of. He's invested heavily in one of the, you know, in, in the biggest company for marketing of entertainment. So Live Nation. The other guys, I mean, what we're going to be, you know, with Lori, you know. So, so, can we talk about that for a minute? She didn't. So there had to have been something that was cut out there. Because how did you not? There was two dinosaurs sitting there right in front of you. And I can't visualize what it would look like. And did you? I can't recall. Did you have a video play, like yes. showing it? We did. With, with kids in it, I believe, right? Yeah, and a 110-foot dinosaur. Yeah. Here's the thing. The, those guys, that's why we have the T-shirts. We knew they weren't going to invest anyway. Yeah. So they are not going to say, I don't know anything about this. Although Damon really did say that. I thought he was very forthright and helpful. Actually, he tried to make my answers clearer, which was a nice thing to do for us. Where she got confused was really that we had three different things we were trying to push, which is too, too many. Uh, one is that we're going to do our own tour. Second is that we would sell dinosaurs to crazy individuals. That's new. Then the third is that we're going to help out these zoos. So three things is too, too many for Lori, <laughs> I think. And it, but the main thing is that we knew those guys. It's not in their ballpark. And they're not going to say, I don't know anything about this. They'd rather say, this is what's wrong with this presentation, especially Mr. Wonderful. He was like off the, off the wall. Yeah, it, it, it definitely seemed uh, not... It just seemed off for him to, to be so down on it. I, I get that he was worried, concerned that he wouldn't get his money back. And it seems like he's more concerned about that the higher the amount of money, you know, the higher yes. the amount goes. He's like, oh, it's $50,000. Like, not, look, lunch is going to cost ten grand when I go out to lunch. So it's like, eh, it's five lunches, no big deal, right? You buy, you buy lunch for everybody at 1000 bucks a pop. Why not? Well, you know, we were talking about this before, but uh, 
two-thirds of the deals that he even shakes hands on don't happen, which is by far the worst ratio of completed deals of any of the sharks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, $500,000, I would need to go back, but I would doubt that he's ever even made a deal for that much money. Uh, as a solo shark, yeah. I, and I, and there's a handful of seasons I haven't watched yet because I'll be and if you have you should get subscribed because there's this handful of videos that I will be reacting to as the months go on at least until we get to the next next season of Shark Tank here coming up hopefully in I think September October right but anyway uh, I think that yeah I I don't recall there might be he might have come close on one. But I think most of those big ones, he usually goes part. He usually gets partners in, in for those. Yeah. Um, and so I, he didn't really engage in the discussion either. So, he, you know, he just you know blurted this stuff out and was off. Robert, I think, uh, was scared by the numbers too. But in any case, so we had these shirts that say "I love you, Mark Cuban" or whatever. And when he made the offer for the company, I had said ten, he had said twenty-five, yeah. and I knew that for the sake of the show, you have to act as if. There's something you've got to decide, you know? But I'm looking at my wife, who was nice enough to go on with me, and I could tell she's looking at me like, if you don't take this offer, you're a total idiot. <laughs> and really, the worth of his presence and his, uh, all his contacts and everything else goes even beyond half a million dollars of oh, yeah. investment. So, you know, I, I don't know how high I would have gone, probably 49% if he had said that. So that was just stage effect to, to make it wait for a minute. But Mark, you didn't hear that last part. <laughs> um, in, in any case, uh, yeah, it was it was a, a, a no brainer to think that this is a guy who can help us grow our business. Um, so uh, yeah, so we turned around and showed the shirts, and they were like, "How did he know that? What, what you know, like?" <laughs> Well, you know what it is, is is if you put in the time to to really do the research of who, you know, the backgrounds of each of the the sharks that potentially could be there, because I know that you don't know what sharks are definitely going to be there, but Mark has almost never missed an episode once he started on the show. Uh, Kevin has missed like two that I know of. Um, So, you know, the odds are in your favor that one of those two or both are going to be there for almost every pitch. Yeah. Yeah. we were missing Barbara, whose interest isn't along those lines either. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Not not a five hundred thousand right. dollars. <laughs> you know, uh, she would probably say the same that she wasn't. Um, she wasn't sure. You know, too certain on where how the money was going to be spent, how the money was going to be brought in. Uh, you know, I what I one thing I love about what you're doing with the revenue share thing. Uh, now I, we've been showing some. Uh, my kids and, and the dinosaurs are from the Philadelphia Zoo, which is was awesome. I've been there twice uh, now, and uh, really great job with the, you know seeing it and how it's laid out and and a uh, kind of like an indoor you know experience outdoor. Yep. You know with the dinosaurs. Um, so well, I forget what the question I was going to go to. Now. <laughs> uh, that happens. Um, when you uh, the gate share question is what you were asking no, about. Sorry, the what. The gate share issue. Oh, the gate share. Yeah. So the gate share revenue. So how, like, how did that? How did you come up with that? And then did you? How did you go about pitching that to to the museums and the uh, the zoos? Well, uh, that I, I backed into the idea because we the whole tradition of this business is that you just the zoo gives you a fixed fee and you give them what you give them, uh, and the zoo that shall remain nameless that's located in the Bronx. Um, <laughs> I, think I think there's one of those. <laughs> 
bought a whole lot of our dinosaurs. We were happy to have them buy them, the usual models to rent them, but they were our first venue and, and they're so prestigious, so big, that I could bring all the other zoos to see what we were doing there, 45 giant dinosaurs, that I was willing to one, sell them, and, and second, I noticed that they had 440,000 people just to see the dinosaurs, paying an extra $6 on top of the admission to get into the zoo. So they paid us a good amount of money, but they made many times more, $2.5 million from doing this. And I thought if I could work a gate chair on our behalf, it would work. And then the unfortunate nature of COVID, I thought, well, the, the fortunate part is we can help them without them having to forward money and we'll do better in the end. And so we've started doing that and it's been very successful. I'd say about double the revenue that we would have gotten elsewhere. Wow. And we hope to do it more. Of course, we didn't have that kind of cushion before to wait for money or gamble if it didn't happen. So uh, in a way, not even spending that money that we got from Cuban, but knowing that it's there enables us to take risks that we wouldn't ordinarily take. Absolutely. And that's part of it. That's part of the game, right? It's part right. about being an entrepreneur and a business owner and everything is taking calculated risks. So, I mean, I, in my business, I always just sort of hired experts for whatever job it is we were doing. And I just kept one assistant, sort of a right-hand person, uh, to organize my brain, which takes a lot. Now we have 25 people working here. Wow. Uh, there are four in the office, but there's remote workers. And then there's, in three different countries, we have technicians. So, I mean, that's all in two years. And I'm at an age where I should be getting senile, and maybe I am. But now I'm entering into a whole different sphere of business operations that I didn't do before. I think that's a, a, an important point there is that you're never too old or too young as we've gotten comments uh, down below, which if you haven't commented down below, you absolutely should, uh, that, you know, I'm too young or I'm too old. And I don't, I've never subscribed to that because that's, uh, I mean, there's kids that go on Shark Tank, right? There's kids that uh, do all kinds of things. And there's people who get their MBAs at 78, 79 years old. Like, it's not. It's never too late to, or too early to get started and lay the foundation for anything right. uh, that you want to, because you're passionate about, right? And I'm sure this is a lot of fun for you to do. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about what it is that's the recipe for success. A couple, a couple of things. I mean, it's not brain surgery either to know what those things are, but you have to be definitely have a creative, good idea, but the passion for it. The uh, you have to be inured to failure, because some aspect of what you do is going to fail. It's, you can't go blindly into something and succeed in every way. Um, and uh, chutzpah, nerve, you know, you got to think, oh, my idea is good enough that even though it wasn't there, it hasn't worked for somebody else, I can make it work. Um, that's, you know, that, that's not necessarily grounded in fact, but you need it in order to persevere because people are going to tell you no all along the way. And the risk tolerance. I mean, I have an, a lot of tolerance because money doesn't mean that much to me. So I will try something new. You can make a lot of money by doing exactly the same thing over and over and over again. If that's your goal. My goal is to do new things that are exciting and also make them work. Um, but I would be as happy doing the same things about clams because there are a lot of dead, interesting clams to me but nobody else is interested. So I know I better target what I'm doing to where the market is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, if you, if you don't want it to be a hobby uh, that you're just paying out over and over again, and I, right. would, 
if I may uh, expand upon the whole failure thing, I, I don't see failure as failure. It's a lesson, right? And we right. take those lessons and we cultivate them into the next thing that we're going to build, that we're going to do. Uh, and sometimes we don't know how we're going to utilize it yet. You know, it could be years down the line. We're like, oh, you know, I did this thing. It was kind of related to this. And that helped me prepare for the steps I'm at now. Right. That I didn't even know I was going to be at, you know, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later. Um, so I, 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 I think that's absolutely awesome. So oh, um, one, one other thing, I was oh, thinking, yeah, sorry, but it just occurred to me, but this is more, in my case, apropos to writing than to this, but I think it works everywhere. Everyone says, start at the bottom and work your way up. I think start at the top and work your way down. So if there's somebody who does this, something related to what you do, and they're the best at it, start by contacting them. And maybe they won't have time for you, you know, nine out of ten times. But there are a lot of nice, important people out there. And they will help give you guidance. And when you don't succeed at that level, then go down a notch and work your way down. That I never hear from anybody. Maybe it's a common advice. But, you know, when I started writing, I went to the guys whose style I admired the most. And they gave me a lot of great tips. I mean, it was nice. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I would agree. If you if you've watched our Grant, uh, Grant Cardone series from Undercover Billionaire Two Season Two, that's what he that was his whole plan was I'm going to go to this town as a, you know this other person is a made up person hundred dollars and instead of trying to work his way up like with ninety days to build a million dollar business, he went straight to the big players, the biggest players in the town, and was got one of them to say. Okay, yeah, let's see what you can do. And then all of a sudden it was a lot easier because he had the, you know, the people he was talking to had funding. It wasn't a bunch of people who didn't have money to be able to help him uh, you know, accomplish the goal that he was trying to make. So I, I would agree that you know, there's a lot of cases where you should do things like that. Or like in the case of Steve Jobs where he called uh, Hewlett Packard, not Hewlett Packard, um, but no, it was, it was Hewlett Packard, I believe. Uh, you know the the president of that, and yep. got a bunch of scrap computer parts and things like that. So there are people out there that are willing to help, and there are people that uh, you know sometimes are surprised because they don't get those kind of calls as much as you might think that they would or should, or um, right. you know would have the time to even speak to you. The most striking example of it for me, which was rel- into the realm of bullshit, um, <laughs> was I was working on I created an idea for a theme park, which actually got fairly far in in Texas. Uh, They put about $7 million into development, and I hired some ex-Disney executives to create what was going to be a sustainability-themed theme park. Like, Mm. you'd go and see how the whole thing works and what you could do to save energy, but you rode roller coasters and threw up all the things you need to do. So (laughs) we were trying to get aid from the state of Texas. So the economic developer we were working with said, okay, we're going before the legislature. I want you to dress like you're a Spielberg character, you know, like some Hollywood guy. Get the sunglasses, get the Gucci shoes and the Rolex. So I go to China all the time. I got the Lolex for a dollar, the fake (laughs) shoes, the fake sunglasses. And I'm sitting there and the guy, the head of the legislature, whatever, saying, you know, why should we put some money into this? You come into our fair town, you should be investing a lot in us. And I was supposed to just sit there and I just thought, this is ridiculous. I said, what are you talking about? Your town is a dump. You know, if I was going to build this thing, I should be going to Los Angeles or Orlando where the tourists already are. I'm going to come to, to you know, shit-ass Texas? I got to like this. And the next thing I knew, they had put in like $50 million into the project. Wow. So sometimes faking it works. <laughs> so. 
yeah, well, I, when, when was this? What this was about eight years ago. The place was called EarthQuest. It turned out the developer didn't own the land that it was going to be put on, and the city had never investigated that. So the whole thing fell apart. Um, but it was fun. It was a learning experience for sure. This sounds like a story that um, Jim Hill should be telling on the Disney Dish podcast. Like, he, I don't know if you're familiar with their no. podcast, but you should definitely go uh, check that out. They talk all about Disney and like the backstory, you know, from the '60s, '50s, '60s, '70s, '80s, all the you know the behind the scenes stuff, um, and that kind of story would fit right in with, with Len and Jim. Uh, we but, actually have that opportunity now, thanks to to Mark Cuban, in a very small way, but. Um, talking about the benefits that are not just the cash in this. He has a friend owns a, a building that he's uh, rehabbing downtown Pittsburgh, seven stories. He said, you can have it for storage. Well, that's a huge expense for us. The building needs some work, but there's something we hadn't counted on. And then, he, then he said the other day, I write to him every week. I'm obligated to, to give him the, what's going on with the business. Oh, he wow. answers instantly, really instantly. Really? And he said, I own a town in Texas. You can have it. He said, what? Like He's, an abandoned ghost town kind <laughs> yep, of thing? a ghost town. Oh, wow. It's got uh, 21 people still living there. It's, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere. But nowhere in Texas. I, I'm insulting all the Texans, but there isn't that much to do in Texas. And people would drive a long way to go to the Buckies or, or to, you know, to go see some uh, Six Flags. So it could turn into Dinosaur City and be a destination by itself. That's not out of the realm of possibility wow. and in a very small way that's how disney started you know they yeah. went to orlando there was nothing there they created 150 dummy corporations and bought all the land at the same time and then they ended up with their own place so you know it's at least the beginning of something that could be interesting yeah hey you, you never you never know that's right. awesome uh and and definitely sounds like a promising thing and you have the dinosaurs to put there yes you know so that's that's incredible uh, one last question before we go because i know you're you're going to be pressed for time here um have you had anybody buy dinosaurs off the website since you since you changed the website yep <laughs> that's awesome so the benefits from just being on you know i was alerted to that uh, by Cuban, actually, he said, just enjoy it. And we had a big party here and watching, and we did. And as we're at the party, we're monitoring what's going on. One of the people works for me, and she said, you have 2,000 hits this minute onto the website. We uh, hadn't had 2,000 hits, period, on the website and in one minute. And then we start getting all these uh, letters and inquiries. And a lot of them are bogus, you know, like, I'm going to buy some land, and you want to help me? No, I don't want to help you. <laughs> and, huh. and come back when you've actually done something in this field. Uh, but a guy who owns a building in Seattle wants to put a big brachiosaur on top of his building, and he was very serious about it. And we already signed up with a woman to build a giant mammoth that she wants in front of her construction company in Texas. Wow. Uh, a group in Dubai that owns an island wants to make a dinosaur attraction. We just did a proposal for them. Um, all generated from this. So, you know, in our business, it doesn't take a lot of offers. You know, we do 12 deals a year right now. But those are big deals, yeah. each involving many, many animals. So an additional three or four things in one month's time is significant. 
Yeah, oh, big expansion. Has anybody bought... So, Larry and I were joking about buying it to uh, either A, put it in our backyard, or B, to rent it out for parties. Because I was thinking, like, oh, you get two Raptors, and you bring it to a part, Like, you bring it to, like, kids' birthday parties, like, three, four hundred bucks, and, you know, you get your 12... I think it was, like, 12 grand or something for the Raptors. Like, you get that back in almost no time. I think somebody should do it. You know, when you're a small company, you can only do big deals. It's kind of counterintuitive, but you don't have enough personnel to do that. But... We did get a lot of inquiries about, my son turned six, he loves dinosaurs, can you bring one to the house? And they explained, well, we, we don't do that. Right, that's not, yeah. But somebody, entrepreneurial, should buy a couple and rent them out for parties. I mean, this, people pay a lot of money to do this stuff, you know? So, yeah. So I think, yeah, there is, there is an opportunity there. That is, uh, yeah, and, and, and no shot, uh, and no... Um no small opportunity with the fact that the Jurassic Park series is still going today with a new movie coming out. I mean, it's a new movie. It, it was filmed, I don't know, three years ago <laughs> right. at this point, but, but it's coming out. And, it, you know, so it, fill, it fills that, uh, that imagination for a continuation of, of dinosaurs and, and things like that. So Yeah, it's this ever-renewing industry. So we get sort of a uh, tangential benefit from every time they spend $60 million promoting a new movie. Yes. It just raises the alertness to, oh, what else is out there in dinosaurs? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I think the, the cool thing about that is, is you're not, um, it's not the cowboy versus the spaceman thing where it's like, ah, you know, cowboys were cool and now it's the spaceman, you know, so we were all about spaceman and maybe cowboys come back for a little, little, like, sliver of time. Two movies come out from two different, uh, you know, two different studios and then, oh, we're back to spaceman movies or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a, it's part of Earth's history. It's not, uh, it's, it's not like a localized thing where it's like, oh, cowboys, well, that's an American thing and it's, a southwest, you know what I mean? It's a southwestern thing right. um, versus like uh, dinosaurs are literally a global thing and, yeah. and still new dinosaurs found, I guess, every day or every... New, new species every two weeks. So oh, it's, wow. hap- it's happening fast. Although cowboys are actually a worldwide phenomenon. A guy wanted me to build in China a, a cowboy uh, dance hall. And he said cowboys and Indians could also make a great museum exhibit. And I said, well, there's 300 different tribes of Indians, and they didn't particularly get along with the cowboys. But anyway, uh, there are two, two things I wanted to tell you that maybe people haven't told you about the show. Um, one is, it's a little evident when you watch, but there's a deliberate strategy on their part to start asking you five things at the same time, mm. each person. I have heard that. Yeah. They want to throw you off, and then you know something good comes out of your agony. So I said, uh, they asked, they did that, and I said, you know, I'll answer you if you just shut up. And the crew went crazy. They were just laughing and laughing because no one ever tells these guys to shut up. <laughs> and, and there was like a second delay and then all the, these guys laughed. Of course, it didn't make it on the show. In the preview, they have me saying shut up. Um, and the second is, uh, after you get off the show, do you know what is the first thing you do? Uh, you go to the psychologist. Oh, okay, you yeah, do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it was the same guy who who treated the stars of a Jersey Shore. So the guy has a lot of experience with crazy people. <laughs> that is, that's a job. That's yeah. a job for sure. And it was interesting because it's not just the people who crash and burn with their idea that their whole life is based on and it's just been destroyed, but it's the people who succeed, but they were so high in the experience of being on stage and then they just, you know, energy-wise, they, they crash. And they mistake that for depression and so this guy helps them with that. For us, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, our lives 
weren't inextricably tied to somebody helping us succeed with this great idea we had. We were doing fine, and I would have done fine, so I wasn't going to feel bad if everyone said no. I would have liked an excuse to do something with the shirts. But, uh, you know, so it was a great thing that happened, but it didn't make or break our lives. Which is why you aren't afraid to say shut up. <laughs> That's right. You're like, yeah, yeah, I don't really need any of you here. I mean, it's nice. It helps. It's gasoline, you know, on the fire. Also violating the agreement by telling you stuff about the psychiatrist and stuff in the fifty oh. pages of documents. I think it's I think it's documented online, so I think you're all right. I know, but you know, <laughs> all the things that they tell you. I worked for Disney before, and you're not allowed to say you ever worked for Disney. I said, this is ridiculous. What are they going to do? They're gonna My friend Terry Harden, who you, I don't know if you're familiar with Terry, uh, has done a lot of animatronics yeah. and puppetry and stuff. And she, yeah, she had the, ran into the same problem. At, at so they own my life story. They owned in the contract the right to disparage me, which I have never heard of. To, to, to beat you down? Like, well, you know, I think they were thinking on the air, if the guy wants to say, you're a dumb crook, or, you know, whatever the nastiest thing Mr. Wonderful has said, yeah. you can't sue him for libel. Because you just signed away the right to say anything they want to about you. So um, okay. my thinking is, you know, I'll, you know, I'll protect what they need to really protect. But this kind of frivolous stuff is, that's silly. Yeah, I, you know, did you did you have a lawyer read all that before you? I did? had a lawyer read that's all that, good. and he said this is the most onerous agreement. Uh, I would never sign it, and I said, well, yeah, but then I wouldn't be on the show, so. What? But the other thing is, is, and we've mentioned this at the end of our reaction video, which again, if you haven't watched that, get subscribed, go back and watch it, uh, was, you know, at the end of the day, like, you could do anything. Like, if, if, if the whole dinosaur animatronic thing, like, were to fall apart, right, you could go and, and you could start, I mean, it's dinosaurs, yeah. right? Like, nobody owns dinosaurs. And that's why I, I try to remind people when they talk about, like, well, I wouldn't give away 50% of my business for, uh, I don't know, like a handmade soap or something like that. I'm like, you could change the formula and make a new business. It's not the end of the world. Don't call it soap. Call it uh, detergent or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be a way around these things. So to get, um, to have an opportunity to work with a shark, to have, a, you know, to have an opportunity to um, get the experience. Again, no failure should go unwasted, you know. Uh, yeah, that's the other a, part of it. It's like you have to have confidence in your idea, but you also have to know that somebody else has done this in a, some way better than you have. And if I don't take Mark Cuban's advice about what I'm doing wrong, I'm an idiot. You know, where's he and where am I? So. Well, yeah, to, to, to a degree. I mean, you have to... I'm not going to take Mark Cuban's advice about dentistry, you know. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, okay, he's super successful. He's made a lot of businesses, and he's made a lot of people a lot of money, and he's made himself a lot of money. But I'm not trusting him with my teeth, you know. Right. So there, there's, a, there's a line there, but yeah. I, I do agree. It's a balance. You have to, yeah. yeah, and and that's why I say, like, I think sometimes people um, hold, hold too tightly their, their businesses or their business ideas, and a lot of times that's because that's the only business idea they might ever have or the, the only thing that's worked for them. I mean, there was the lady, I just did a video not that long ago where it was her seventh time submitting to be on the show. You know, so she had six other ideas before she finally got the one that was the one, you know? Right. So you can't be afraid to, to try to, you know, do whatever you can to make it happen and then maybe give up more than you expected, right? Maybe your valuation's too high. Maybe it's... Well, so they're not having you on for the strength of your idea. They're having you on because it makes good TV. So, seriously, <laughs> you know, if you're a nut, they want you on. If you have a crazy idea, there was a pubic hair straightener, I think. You know, oh, there are yeah. things that are not necessarily great ideas, but make funny TV. 
And the, you know, if you go in there with a rap song or whatever, your presentation makes them want to have you on. So I wouldn't take it personally in that sense if they reject you or if they take you. It's not necessarily based on how good the idea is. Yeah. This isn't a business show. This is entertainment, you know. It, it, it is entertainment. And we, it's, that's reflected by the people who watch this, this channel here and, <laughs> and comment below. Right. Uh, you know, we have, we have our business people. We have our people who are like, I'm here for the entertainment. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Let the show play. And it's like, look. There's plenty of ways to get Shark Tank. You don't right. have to come to my channel to get it. Dino Don, I appreciate your time. I appreciate yeah. being here. 